the Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. At 30 years old, my friend Laura was diagnosed with brain cancer. She was a wife, a mother of two, and pregnant with her third child. Her tumors grew rapidly and she became paralyzed on her entire left side. She was surrounded at that time by a team of medical experts, all of whom said this one thing. You have one choice, Laura. If you abort the baby, we can save you. But if you don't, you'll only have six more weeks to live. The choice is clear. At one point, they even pulled her husband aside and said, if she were my wife, I wouldn't think twice about this decision. Abortion is the only answer. Laura, believing with all her heart that every life was a gift from God and that it was not by accident that she was pregnant at this time with this baby, chose to disregard the doctor's medical advice and keep the baby. Well, Laura is cancer-free today. And that baby, the one the experts insisted that she abort, is a happy, healthy 14-year-old girl named Ruth who loves Jesus and loves others well. She was born at 30 weeks and was so healthy that even at only 2 pounds, 12 ounces, she required no life-saving intervention. Now, I realize that not every similar story ends so well for the mother or the baby. I wonder how many potential miracle babies are never born because they're never given a chance to. We realize that abortion is a very tender topic for some listeners. And to be honest, it's a very tender topic for each of us on the show today. All three of us have been touched by the effects of abortion in some way or another. Our goal today isn't to pass judgment or to point fingers. Instead, we hope to do two things. First, share our stories and the truth of scripture to offer help, hope, and healing to anyone who might need it. And second, to equip others to help their family, friends, and neighbors choose life. September is not able to join us today, but we have with us Abby Johnson, former clinic director for Planned Parenthood and now an outspoken advocate of the pro-life movement. Her story was featured in the poignant 2019 film Unplanned. Welcome to the show, Abby. Thank you so much for having me. And I love that story about your friend. I actually knew a woman named Erica Tremblay and her brother is a music artist and he has since written her story and it's sort of a a neat thing, but she had a very similar story where she was diagnosed with cancer and I did not know her. She had reached out to me via email and told me her diagnosis and that all of the doctors had told her to have an abortion. And she asked me if I would speak with her. I said, sure. So we ended up arranging a phone call and she said, you know, I'm early in my pregnancy. I just found out that I have cancer. All the doctors are telling me I need to have an abortion. And she said, what, what do you think I should do? She was a devout Catholic, her family, they were all very pro-life and she'd all, you know, was always very pro-life. But when you have medical professionals giving you this information and here it's your life, right? On the line. And 
you know, I don't remember the whole conversation. I just remember saying, you know, I can't tell you what to do with your life, but I just know that I have children and I know that any day of the week I would give up my life for theirs. Mm -hmm. She ended up, you know, choosing her baby and she had her baby. Her baby was totally healthy, beautiful baby girl. And she actually did end up losing her life to cancer shortly after her child's birth. But even on her deathbed, she was like, I would have never made any other choice. You know, giving my child life, that is parenthood. That is what it is to be a mother. That is what it is. That That is the gift that that you're given as a parent. You know, you would do anything for your child. You would sacrifice anything, including your life, if that's what it takes. And so it was really just a, a beautiful testament and and her life, her legacy continues to live on in the life of her child. Mm -hmm. And uh, her family continues to tell her beautiful story of of sacrifice. And I love that. I love that. That's how you open the show. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your story for those listeners who aren't as familiar? Sure. Yeah. I worked at Planned Parenthood for eight years of my life. I got started with them in college. I grew up you know, uh, in a very Christian home, very conservative home. I didn't really know anything about abortion. I, I'm an only child. I grew up in the Southern Baptist community. My parents, I, I think they just, they weren't activists in any way, shape or form. So it was just sort of like, yeah, we're, you know, we're against abortion. Yeah, we're pro-life, but we weren't going to like marches or volunteering at pregnancy centers or anything like that. Yeah, I went to college and didn't really know much about being pro-life, being pro-choice, abortion, anything like that. I met a woman who was with Planned Parenthood and you know, she started talking to me about feminism and liberation of women and you know, all this kind of stuff, which they these were all very new concepts to me. I'd never heard of this before. And, you know, I was 20 years old, I was in college, you know, sort of very naive. Yeah. You know, I jumped in, I jumped into volunteer, something new, something exciting for me, probably a little bit of my rebellious spirit thinking, oh, my parent, you know, my parents probably wouldn't like this. So started volunteering and, you know, that was really, that was it. I mean, once I was in, I started really believing all of the talking points, really believing all of the propaganda, all the things they were telling me. Although, I mean, I do have to say at that time, the propaganda was different than what it is today. I mean, at that time, the talking point was we're trying to prevent the need for abortion. We're trying to keep abortion safe, legal and rare. That was a more reasonable goal. It was something that a lot of independents, you know, politically, it was more reasonable. It was something a lot of political independence, something that, you know, even more moderate Republicans would say, okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. Right. I can get on board. It felt more palatable for the masses. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I can get on board with keeping abortion safe, legal and rare. I can get on board with, you know, wanting to prevent the need for abortion. Right. And so it, it just, it felt better. And it felt better than what we have now, which is this like mm. demonic cry for abortion at, you know, all stages in pregnancy for any reason, mm. you know, through all nine months, you know, abortion on demand for any reason. 
and taxpayers are going to pay for it. Right. I mean, it just that's so extreme. This was more like a moderate Mm -hmm. sort of uh, view. And so that when I came into the abortion industry, that that was the talking point. And so that was something I could sort of get on board with. That was really what I believed we were about. Now, hear me when I say that was just the facade, right? That was like the forward facing appearance of, of what Planned Parenthood was about. And that was what we said. That was what we said to the media. And that was really what I believed for a long time. And then I, you know, I started getting promoted and eventually was uh, the director of the facility where I had started to work. And that that was really when things started to change for me. My my attitude started to change. I really went from being a pro-choice person to really a more of a pro-abortion person, you know, really believing that. Uh, yeah, like every woman who came in probably did need to have an abortion. Uh, it really wasn't about giving her options. You know, if you were a single mom, yeah, you probably were better off having an abortion. Certainly if you were a young mom, a teen mom, absolutely. You should have an abortion. If you were poor, yes, you should definitely have an abortion. This sort of eugenics mindset starts to really take over your mind And then that's definitely being pushed, you know, sort of at the top ranks of the abortion industry at Planned Parenthood, at the National Abortion Federation, at NARAL. Mm -hmm. This idea that a particular group of people, a large group of people are expendable and should be expendable. And those are the groups of people that we particularly target. And so that's being fed to you constantly, you know, if you're in upper management. In the last year I was there, I think, you know, God was sort of, no, I guess giving me ears to hear, I guess, is and eyes to see just in a different way. I started to see things just, I felt really gross about my work is really the only way I can say it. Things started to feel icky. And I think God started sort of juxtaposing things for me. Like I would, I would see things and I would say, and that's really different than than what I thought we were doing, right? I mean, he just started like exposing things for me and helping me remember back to when I first got involved, right? Like, man, what happened to that safe legal and rare, right? I mean, like, what, man, we're really far away from that, aren't we? You know? Yeah. And I remember thinking at that time, you know, wow, I wonder if it's that things have changed in this organization or is it that now I've just gotten so high up in the organization that I'm finally seeing things for how they always truly were. And now I realize, you know, it it was really the latter. We hadn't changed. This is who we always had been. I just now I was able to see sort of how the sausage was made. Right. Mm, Yeah. And then ultimately though, I was called in to a procedure that to my knowledge, never been done at our facility, a type of procedure, never been done at our facility in a room where I'm really not supposed to be because I'm not a medical person. And I was called in to assist in an ultrasound guided abortion procedure. Ultrasounds are not typically used in the abortion procedure during the abortion procedure. Mm. But yeah, I was just sort of, it was just sort of a, a weird circumstance where I was in the room. I watched this abortion take place on the ultrasound screen and I saw a 13 week old baby fight and struggle for his life. And I, I just, it was like the veil was lifted and 
I knew then that there was life in the womb, there was humanity in the womb. And I knew that if those two things were true, then I was on the wrong side of this debate. And I knew that my life was going to have to change and that was going to involve leaving Mm -hmm. the abortion industry. So that's what I did. Yeah. And you didn't just leave. I mean, now you're such an advocate for pro-life. This pendulum swung in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. And that was really unintentional. I mean, I had thought I'm just going to leave quietly and just sort of, you know, go off into the night and get another job and go do something else and just pretend like these eight years of my life didn't happen. But when Planned Parenthood realized why I had left they ended up suing me and taking me to court and trying to get a gag order against me so I wouldn't be able to talk about the things that I knew that were happening inside the clinic. Mm. And that failed. And when they when they sued me, they actually sent out a press release to the Associated Press talking about the court case. And which was ridiculous. And because that then alerted the press and then the press, they they were all asking me, well, what don't they want you to say? (laughs) Right. I mean, why are they trying to keep you quiet? That was really what that press release that they sent out was what pushed me into the spotlight. They had not done that. Nobody would know anything about my story. So it was really their folly. And it backfired on them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely backfired. Yeah, it did. Mm -hmm. Well, as I mentioned, we've all been affected by abortion in some way or another on the show today. So I want to just take a few minutes and open the floor for everybody to share just a brief synopsis of their own story. Kate, do you want to start us out? Sure. I was 18 when I had my abortion. And honestly, girls, this is before Roe v. Wade. And this is a long time ago. And I think about the women of my generation where it was a shameful thing. It was a guilt ridden thing. It wasn't, we didn't hold signs saying, you know, I've had five abortions like it is today. It's very different climate. I remember being 18. I had just graduated high school and I found out I was pregnant. And of course I was terrified. I could not tell my parents. I couldn't tell anyone except my boyfriend at the time he knew I lived in New Jersey at the time and I went to Planned Parenthood. I didn't know where else to go. So I went to them and I remember asking the woman, you know, what do I do? She said, well, do you want a baby? And I said, no, I'm 18. How do I do that? I want to be, you know, a singer and in the theater and all that stuff. I saw my whole life ahead of me and thought this is going to just destroy all of that. So I went, she gave, got me an appointment in New York City where it was legal because it was not legal in New Jersey, but it was in New York, probably some other cities. Mm-hmm. And I went and I had the abortion. And I remember the doctor telling me, you know, it's a good thing you came in with when you did because you're just on the cusp of four months. And had you waited, we would have had to do a different procedure. And remember in those days, this is before ultrasound. I didn't know what was in me really. I mean, I knew I was pregnant. I understood it, but we couldn't see the full extent of what we were doing. Right. And I remember as soon as I got up off the table and went into the dressing room to change, the first thought that came in my mind was you're a murderer. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that was true, but I just pushed that away. I was, I was not a Christian at the time. I mean, we'd go to church, but just regular 
denominational church that I had no relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until almost 10, more than 10 years later when I met the Lord. And I remember thinking, you know, can you forgive me of this? And I knew he did forgive me, but it took me years to forgive myself. Just, I didn't even tell my daughter till she was in her thirties. I was that ashamed of what I'd done because I think the women in, you know, of my generation in their sixties are think are it's, it's a harder thing. Well, it's hard for everybody, but it's just, it has a different sense to it because so many women that I talk to are still filled with guilt. Yeah. And I try to remind them if you've been saved, Jesus has nailed that sin, just like every other sin, he's nailed it to the cross mm-hmm. and you don't need to you don't need to carry that shame. I I could not talk about it. I remember being on a podcast and the gal that was on there was just talking easily about her two abortions. And afterwards I said, how can you just do that? I had never talked about it, never told anyone. My husband knew, but that was it. Because for me, it was just, you know, from, I guess from that era, but I think everybody, we, we know what we're doing. And at some point, I think that guilt will overwhelm you, but thank God for Jesus that he can take that away Mm -hmm. and we can then give hope to other women. Mm -hmm. And I was on the opposite end of that story, Kate. I was the Franny in the story. I remember (laughs) um, I had had my first baby. I remember exactly where I was. I was in the bathroom doing my hair, getting ready for work. (laughs) And my mother, I was talking to her on the phone, had her on speaker and something slipped out casually. She said it so casually that something about her abortion, unbeknownst to me, all my other sisters had known about it. And I, it was brand new information to me. And so I kind of, you know, pulled on the thread a little bit and asked her some questions. And lo and behold, when she was 17, and this was back in the late fifties, early sixties. Oh, wow. That's a long time ago. mm -hmm, She was 17, found herself pregnant and her parents pretty much forced her to have an abortion because as you said, at that time, it was social suicide to Mm -hmm. have a pregnant unwed daughter. There were no resources for them. Now I'm not, I'm not making excuses and my mother wouldn't either. This Mm -hmm. was just the parts of her story. She didn't want to have an abortion, but she said at 17, you know, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to live. The dude was not wanting to be involved, had no parental support. And they just said, if you want to keep living here, you know, if you want to, you know, have a life, you have to go and do this. And she said to me, there is not a day that goes by that I do not think about that. Yeah. And she is a believer and she knows in her heart that the Lord has forgiven her Mm -hmm. of that, but the guilt of it or the the thought of it still remains. And, you know, my mother is 76 and she's in the middle stage of, of dementia now. And, and just so you know, I have complete permission to share this story from her, but she doesn't remember it as acutely now because of her dementia. And I think that is God's kindness to her because I know that did eat her up for decades. And still, as she Mm -hmm. sits with it, she says someday in heaven, you know, if I see that baby face to face, I don't know how I'll, I'll be able to face that baby. And I just think about the decades lost because of that guilt. Mm -hmm. And as a person who now knows I have a sibling I've never met, I've sat with that. And, and obviously my part of the story is so minuscule and I won't ever compare it to anyone else's story, Mm -hmm. but I have thought of that, that I have a sibling 
Mm-hmm. I know I won't meet. Yeah. September isn't able to join us today. And I, I wish she were here because she too has another facet of the abortion issue to share. And I don't want to speak on her behalf, but if you were to sit with her and chat with her, she would graciously share about how, you know, her first baby was diagnosed with a, she was, I believe, missing a kidney. And they knew that mm-hmm. when the baby was born, it would not survive. And so she received all kinds of pressure to abort this baby, knowing, you know, you're just investing in something that isn't, it's it's not going to live. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your energy. It's a waste of, you know, your life. And her and her husband just knew we are going to love this baby for as long as we are able. Elizabeth, I think her name was, lived for just a short time. They were able to hold her and and she did pass away. And and now on the other side Mm -hmm. of that, September recognizes either way, there would still be grief, but now we can grieve in the love that we had for the baby and not the guilt that we hold. Yeah. Well, like you, Jamie, Franny lost a sibling. And then I had an ectopic pregnancy years later and the same thing, you know, she's got two, a brother or a sister in heaven. But that's also eaten me up because I think I took that away from her. But today, I just, it really is, like you said, Abby, it's its just a demonic fervor that's taken over these people. It it feels to me like bloodlust, like they want to do this. And it's a very strange atmosphere. It's very different than it used to be. It's a cultural trend almost, like a a badge of honor to wear, to declare you know, not only did I choose abortion, but this is how many abortions I've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm proud of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a rite of passage, mm-hmm. like, oh, I finally had my first abortion or it's really, it's strange because, you know, Kate, when you had your abortion, you're right. There was such a pure ignorance about what was in the womb. Right. I mean, like mm-hmm. everybody knew it was a baby, right. A baby yeah. comes out. We know it's a baby. Right. But ultrasound technology was not around yet. People just, they just didn't know, right? Right. You know, that's just part of human nature. Like you don't know what you don't see. Right. I think there was just this innocence, right? Like we just didn't know. That's why Dr. Bernard Nathanson, people don't know his story. He was an abortionist in the seventies and he aborted over 75,000 babies in New York He was known as the king of abortion. Mm. He was one of the two co-founders of NARAL, National Abortion Rights Action League, uh, which is still in existence. Anyway, he had a massive conversion in the 80s and put out the documentary called Silent Scream. And his conversion was because of ultrasound technology, because he had been aborting all of these babies, right, without ultrasound, not knowing really what was happening to these babies in the womb, right? And he's a doctor. Okay. But then all of a sudden the ultrasound opens up these people's eyes, these doctors eyes, right? And in the film, silent scream, he actually videos a baby during an abortion. And you see during the abortion, the baby opening its mouth as if it's screaming while it's being killed. He puts out this documentary called Silent Scream. I think it was in 1984. Mm -hmm. And this video is seen millions and millions of times, this documentary. And it creates this mass exodus inside of the abortion community of abortion doctors 
who are seeing life in the womb for the first time. Right. Wow. And he, he died a Christian. He has this amazing story yeah. he has a, several amazing books, but the first book I read after I left the abortion industry was his book called hand of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful book wow. talks about his conversion story, but that's his story is so powerful because it was that power of the ultrasound, that part, that part of seeing and believing. And so I think there are so many women like you, Kate, and sort of in that, you know, in your age group that these women that were told, they were told lies and the doctors weren't intentionally lying to them. I think they didn't know either, but I, one of my OBGYNs one time told me that when he was in high school, he and his girlfriend got pregnant. They went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do something to bring your period back. You know, they called it a menstrual extraction at that time. And he realized later in life, oh my gosh, that doctor did an abortion. Oh my goodness. On my girlfriend. And they didn't even know. And now we've almost regressed in progress, right? We're not progressing anymore. We're regressing Mm -hmm. because I just saw an ad the other day on Facebook called the period pill. And now they're advertising abortion as the period pill. So they're just saying, oh, you can bring your period back with this pill. So now we're, we're not even calling it an abortion anymore. Mm. We, we've completely regressed. And I mean, abortion is even a lie because we're not even calling it what it is, right? That's even like a, a more palatable term than, than what we're actually doing to these children in the womb. Yeah. Now we're not even going to call it an abortion. Now we're just going to call it like a restart your period pill. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a lie. There's many reasons we, we know abortion is not of God. I mean, one is because of the scripture, but because this is so full of lies, because abortion is so chaotic, because God is not a God of chaos. He's not a God of lies. He's a God of truth. He's a God of peace. And abortion is it's lies. It's chaos. That's how we know. That's one of the ways we know that abortion is against God. And it's against God's plan for us. As women, you and I were made to give life. And we can do that right in our own homes. Our homes can give others a real picture of the gospel. When they step into our doors, our family, our friends and neighbors see our deep, raw needs and our ugliness. But they can also see the love of Christ lived out in the midst of all of our brokenness. When we invite others in, it's an opportunity to point the homeless ones to a true and lasting home, Jesus. In my new book, Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow, I've united a popular Danish lifestyle practice with the deep theological truths of the gospel in order to show you how Huga can be a companion for making a home where, as Acts 17.27 says, people can feel their way to God and find him. Now, admittedly, Huga is a funny word. Perhaps that's because we don't have any English translation for it. It has ties to comfort and consolation. It's a way of making the mundane and necessary meaningful and beautiful. It's soul rest. Huga appeals to our desire for slow living and shared moments. It embraces relationships and hospitality, so it's warm and it's inviting. Huga is the opposite of hustle. It eschews over abundance. It's a way of making home. 
the world is ripe for the comfort of real sanctuary. And while reshaping an atmosphere can never permanently reshape a heart, it can help, especially when paired with the hope of Jesus. Before God made humanity, he made a home for them. He built a sacred place. And now you and I can do the same. Pre-order Holy Huga today wherever books are sold and let me show you how to nurture a home that reflects the one whose spirit is making a home in you. Well, speaking of God, I mean, we know the word abortion is not in the Bible. Right. So for those that are listening that may not know the word well, or maybe don't know the Lord, how, how do you feel God feels about this, about abortion? Right. So, you know, there's several instances where we can see that God considers life in the womb valuable, right? So we see that in the story of uh, Jesus in the womb. When the scripture recognizes children in the womb as life, yeah. when Jesus in the womb is recognized by John. Okay. So John in the womb recognizes the Lord in the womb. If that wasn't important in, in scripture, it wouldn't have been included in scripture. So clearly prenatal life is recognized in scripture as life, Mm. just as evidenced in that story alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. But also, you know, of course, Psalm talks about the Lord knowing us, before we are born, that he knits us together in our mother's womb. So a lot of times people that, you know, try to defend abortion with scripture, they will talk about how life does not begin until birth. And they will say that they will use this part in scripture in Genesis, where it says that the Lord breathed life into Adam. Okay. And so they use that scripture, but they're using it entirely out of context. That wasn't a very special, certain circumstance where God was creating the first human, right? Not every human after the first human. Okay. He was creating the first human. But then we go on to see later in the Bible, several different times where God talks about knowing us, creating us. He talks about prenatal life being valuable and he evidences that prenatal life being valuable in that interaction between our Lord and and John in the womb. Thank you for bringing that up, Abby, because I have noticed in recent days some very outspoken Christians on social media aligning with pro-choice. And I cannot understand or fathom how somebody who puts their faith in Jesus, who has the same word of God that I do, can even rationalize that decision. And I think it's always important for us as believers to sort of know the viewpoint of those on perhaps the opposing side in order to better articulate our position or our beliefs on things. So I had never heard of that point in Genesis, but that I'm not going to say it makes sense. It still doesn't make sense to me, but I can see how they, you know, the verses they might use to come back as a mm-hmm. rebuttal. And that's helpful. Yeah. Do you think, Abby, there's ever a cause or ever a situation that warrants abortion? Like, you know, we mentioned health risk to mother. If there was sexual assault involved, or maybe you had mentioned teen pregnancy, is there ever a reason for an abortion? I do not believe there's ever a reason for abortion. And there's a couple things I want to bring up about that. So 
I think a lot of Christians get confused to your point about Christians supporting abortion. I think there are a lot of Christians who have had abortions. And so I think that we're dealing with a very wounded culture. Mm. It's hard to have the courage to, I, let me say, I didn't say this. I've had two abortions. Okay. So, uh, you know, during my time with Planned Parenthood, I mean, I, I, I had two abortions. So it's very hard to find the words yeah. to publicly say, or to even say to yourself, I, I killed my own children. Mm-hmm. I, I murdered my own children. Yeah. I made a conscious yeah. decision. I paid someone to murder my children. That is a very difficult sentence to say and and to take responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. It is much easier to say, I don't think abortion is that bad. I don't really think it was a baby. It was just cells. You know, I I think I think God's okay with what I did because I was in a really bad situation. So I think he understands. It's a lot easier to justify our sin than to expose our sin publicly Mm. or to even admit our sin to ourselves sometimes. And I think that's the culture that we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost 60% of women who have abortions are regularly attending church. We are dealing with a problem in the church, right? So I think a lot of times we think about abortion and we're like, Oh, that's those people, mm-hmm. right? Like, but no, it's, it's us. Wow. It's our people. Cause we want to think of sinners as other people, Yeah, but yeah. the church is a place for sinners. Mm-hmm. So it's us that's having the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's really what's going on because it's so much easier to justify sin than to admit to sin. Mm-hmm. I don't believe there is ever a cause for abortion. And and let me say, a lot of Christians get confused on this because they don't know the arguments, okay? They don't understand the arguments. And so they let the pro-choice movement trip them up and confuse them. Let me just sort of help with a little apologetics here. They get confused when it comes to ectopic pregnancies in particular. Topic pregnancy... Treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is never, ever, under any circumstance, considered an abortion, ever. It's not medically coded as an abortion. It's not considered an abortion Mm -hmm. in the abortion industry, in the medical industry, in hospitals. It's never considered an abortion. In fact, the one of the most prolific infamous, notorious abortionist named Dr. Jen Gunter on social media came out with a a tweet and post on social media saying, just for clarification, an ectopic pregnancy is never considered an abortion. So even in the abortion industry, they know this to be true. Okay. So we need to understand this as Christians, as pro-lifers. Treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is just that treatment for an ectopic pregnancy. It is never considered an abortion. You can say I'm a hundred percent pro-life and I never believe abortion is okay. And I believe a woman should be able to treat an ectopic pregnancy. (laughs) Okay. Those two things are completely separate. Number two, 
There is never a reason that a woman needs to kill her child in order to save her life. So there may be times in a woman's pregnancy as her pregnancy advances where uh, she may have preeclampsia would be the most common thing that people bring up, or she may have a problem with one of her organs. Okay. A heart problem or something like that. And generally you won't have a strain on blood pressure. You won't have a strain on an organ until you get closer to your third trimester or you're into your third trimester. The doctor may say, we need to get this baby out of your body. Okay. The only way to get the baby out of your body is to deliver that baby. Okay. Killing the baby before delivery is not going to save your life. Delivering the baby is going to possibly save your life. Okay. The act of killing the baby is not going to save your life. The appropriate response is we're going to deliver this baby. We're going to provide every possible care response that we can, every possible life-sustaining care that we can for this baby. And we're going to care for you because now we recognize we have two patients, right? There's a lot of people who say these uh, abortion activists will say, well, no, you have to, you know, women have to have abortion to save their lives. I'm not sure what they think happens to the baby after they abort it. You still have to deliver the baby. It's not like mm. it disappears into like fairy dust, right? You still have to deliver the baby. So That's such a great point. You might as well deliver the baby and then try to provide life-sustaining care to that baby. Now, there may be times where you're at the cusp, where you're at that 21, 22-week mark, and the baby doesn't survive. That may happen, but you still do everything you can to save the life of that baby. Yeah. Now, in cases of rape mm-hmm. and and certainly those sorts of traumatic instances, you know, we want to be sure that, that you know that's a terrible violation against a woman and we want to be sure that we get these women appropriate help, appropriate care for whatever they need. And I understand the sort of the jump to response to say, well, of course, this woman doesn't want to be pregnant with, you know, her rapist baby or, you know, whatever it may be. But I think it's important that we also look to the research and what does the research say? So there's been some really fantastic research done by a woman. Her name is Dr. McCorn, Mm -hmm. and she has done some really great research on this particular topic. She said that women who conceive in rape and choose abortion over those who choose to parent or choose to place their babies for adoption, those women who choose to abort fare significantly worse emotionally than those who choose a parenting option. And that makes sense. Okay. I actually have the study pulled up here. So This is what the women said. The women who did not choose abortion after a pregnancy resulting from rape, even though it would be a legal choice, they said uh, abortion would be another. They they did not choose it because they said abortion would be another act of violence perpetrated against them. They said good can come from evil. They did not want to victimize an innocent child. If a woman gets pregnant through rape, then she will have conquered the rape. And she wanted to regain some loss of self-esteem and keeping the baby was proof that she is better than the rapist. And 
she found that the women who chose abortion, they felt pressured to do so. And the abortion increased their sense of grief and trauma. Hmm. And so when I look at these results from the studies that she's done, you know, if I'm a woman who believes in women, right, and I want what's best for women, I can't look at this and go, yeah, I'm, I think abortion's best for women who conceive and rape, right? Like, no, I can't, I can't say that. If I know that, that, a, that a woman who chooses abortion after rape is going to be significantly harmed and, and she's going to feel this emotional grief after it. And, and it's going to be worse for her. And she's going to feel like another act of violence was perpetrated against her. Then, then no, I can't look at her and go, yeah, this is obviously the best choice for you. Mm. Right. I mean, I want her to come to a place of wholeness and healing. And so what I'm going to do for that woman who's been traumatized in this terrible way is I'm going to try to get her into some counseling, some Christian counseling and, and get her into some support Mm -hmm. and get her resources that she needs to make sure that she can effectively parent her child and that she can feel a sense of peace and a sense of wholeness after being victimized in this terrible way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back to ectopic pregnancies, mine was in the fallopian tube. There's no way a baby can survive there. My understanding of ectopic is that it's a a pregnancy outside the womb where the baby can't survive no matter what. So in my case, it nearly killed me because I was bleeding internally and didn't know it ended up in the hospital for four days. You know, it was one of those crazy things. So hopefully women that have had ectopics can have freedom just from what you said, that that's not considered an abortion. And the other thing you mentioned, how many women in the church, I think about in the population, I believe it's one out of four or one out of three. Yes. Which, I mean, you look down the aisle at church, you're seeing women, they may not have talked about it like I didn't for years, but you're seeing women that have had abortions. The other thing I was thinking about, what about the men? We mm. hardly ever talk about them. They have a responsibility in this and they have a loss in this. So I think we need to remember them. They're, they're the cause of it, but at the same time, eventually they're going to realize what they've done or allowed to be done. But I wanted to ask, thinking of pro-life women, what do you say to those who'd argue that there's more to pro-life than just being anti-abortion? And until we solve those problems in the foster care system, or every mom is financially independent, or whatever reason we put in there, we can't really, how do we stand in our communities against abortion? What are the answers to those people who say those things? You know, being pro-life means that we are laser focused on ending abortion. Okay. That that's what it is to be pro-life. So, and that's okay. There are many other societal ills. Okay. In, in our world. So I absolutely believe that there needs to be reform in our foster care system. And that's a foster care system issue. That's not a pro-life issue. Okay. Right. Um, you can be a person who cares about immigration. That's an immigration issue. That's not a pro-life issue. You can be someone who is against the death yeah. penalty. That is a death penalty issue. That's not a pro-life issue. Um, you can be someone who's concerned about health care. That's a health care issue. That's mm-hmm. not an abortion issue. That's not a pro-life issue. So 
you know, nobody ever accuses the Breast Cancer Research Foundation of, you know, being insincere about cancer research because they're not also fighting against colon cancer. No, it's fine. It's fine for them to be laser focused on Mm, ending breast cancer, right? That's fine. It's fine. That's their mission, right? That is our mission in the pro-life movement. And it has been for the past 50 plus years, okay? If we concern ourselves with too many issues, this is what the other side tries to do. They try to bog us down. You know, there'd be a school school shooting and they're like, where are you pro-life? pro-life movement. Well, that's terrible. And that's sad, Mm -hmm. but school shootings are not a pro-life issue. Okay. That's a, that's an entirely different issue. We care about that. We pray for them, of course. Right. Because that's a sin issue and that's, and that's a church issue. That's a Jesus issue. And so of course we care about that, those things as Christians. Right. But that's not a pro-life issue. We as pro-lifers need to stay laser focused and we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And that's the ending of abortion, the ending of taking innocent lives through what we call choice in our nation. And guys, that's a big enough problem on its own. We don't have to, we don't have to add anything else to it. That's a big enough problem. We are killing over a million babies in our country alone every single year by abortion. And that number is going up. Actually, it had been going down. Now the number is going up. So it's a big enough issue on our own. Of course, part of the pro-life issue is providing support for pregnancy resource centers and helping moms through their pregnancy and, you know, doing what we can in that way. But here's what people need to understand. Even if we didn't do that, Okay. Even now the pro the pro-life movement is, I believe the most charitable movement in the United States. We have over 2,500 pregnancy resource centers who provide billions and billions of dollars of material resources to women and families every single year. Okay. We are, you know, I believe the most charitable movement in, in the country. We provide, you know, rent help, utility help. We buy cars for women. We, I mean, whatever women need, right? We're there to help. Even if we didn't do that, even if we said to women, you know what? All we're going to do is get you to have this baby and then you're on your own. Abortion would still be wrong. Even if all we did was get that woman to have her baby and then we just dumped her (laughs) and we didn't have any pregnancy resource centers. Abortion would still be wrong. Abortion's not wrong just because we provide years of help for women after they choose life. Abortion's not wrong because the pro-life movement wants to solve every problem on the planet. Abortion's wrong because it is taking the life of an innocent human being. Abortion's wrong because it is an active move against God. That's why abortion's wrong. It really has nothing to do with what we are or aren't doing in the pro-life movement. And one could argue that the children that we are killing through abortion might be exactly who God was trying to raise up to conquer all those whataboutisms that are thrown at us. But now we've removed them from the equation. 
Well, and there have been economists that have said, you know, we look at times of recession and economic instability and things like that. And there have been economists that have said, you know, we probably wouldn't be in a recession. We probably wouldn't have this economic instability in our country right now. Social security probably wouldn't be in the hole that it's in right now if we had not aborted over 60 million taxpayers. So this does impact our economy. This abortion impact, yes, it, it, it impacts so much more than that, right? But we think of, you know, we don't even understand what all we have lost yeah. in society mm-hmm. because it unbalances things. It's against natural law. It's against natural order. It makes things completely skewed. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, we've messed up, you know, God's kingdom and we've messed up, but it, it throws things out of order. And so even our economy is messed up. You know, who we're supposed to marry is messed up. Everything is messed up, right? Because we've missed out on so much because of our own free will. Well, Abby, what about women who have had an abortion like my mom and abortion is a part of their past? Do you have any words of hope and healing for those listeners? And as Kate mentioned, you know, one out of every four women possibly listening to the show will be in that population. Do you have any words of hope for them who grieve their choices of yesterday. This is years ago. I was, I'd left the clinic and I was watching Kung Fu Panda with my daughter, Grace. She was little. And th- there was this moment in the movie where the old turtle is like dying or whatever. And the little mouse guy is like, you know, no, you can't, you can't leave, you know? And he says something like, do you know why today is called the present? He says, because it's a gift. And, you know, I'm sitting there watching this movie for, you know, kids watch movies like a hundred times in a row. I'd watched it so many times, but right then in that moment, it just, that it, it was like, I'd heard it for the first time. Mm. And I was really struggling with my past. I was struggling with, you know, I mean, I participated in over 22,000 abortions during my time at Planned Parenthood. And so I was really struggling with just that burden and my own two abortions and all this kind of stuff. I thought to myself, you know, that's it. Like it's so simple, but it's so hard to live by. I was living in my past every day. I was waking up and I was living in my past. And that's exactly where Satan wanted me to live. He wanted me to live in the places that I can't change. That's right. But God was here every day for me. I was waking up and he was waiting for me to live in this gift Mm -hmm. that he was giving me every single day when I woke up this present gift. And I was completely taking advantage of it. And I was going back into this world that I couldn't change where Satan was waiting for me. And I was just ignoring this gift that God had given me. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, I've got to change. I've got to change that. I have to actively change that. Mm -hmm. And so when people ask me like, Abby, how did you heal from your past? How did you heal from 22,000 abortion? You know, how did you heal from that? I tell people, well, it took practice. I had to make it a habit of waking up and living in God's grace every single day. Mm. And, and if I'm honest, you know, in the beginning, some days I, I messed up some days I woke up and I had a bad day and I chose to go to the, you know, to the past. And I, you know, I drank too much wine and I just chose to live in the bathtub all day and be sad about my, about my past. And I chose to live there. Right. And I did that a few times. And then I realized I, that's just not me. That's just not who I want to be. And eventually it became such a habit. And eventually that was just, I I didn't even have to choose it anymore 
because I couldn't imagine not living there. And then I went through a period of time where I felt very restless. And that was when I realized I was looking too far ahead to my future. And I was living in the future every day that I woke up. And you know what? Satan was there. And I wasn't living in this contentment that God wanted me to live in. I was just like constantly restless and not happy with what God had given me. Right. And so it was like, I was either living in my past or I was living in my future. These two places I really don't have control over. And God's like, I'm right here. I want you right here to live in this vocation that I have given you to be a wife and a mom. That's where I want you to live. Because at the end of my life, my vocation is not going to be a pro-life speaker. That's a good thing. And I'm compelled to do it. And and God wants me to do that. And so I do. But that's not my vocation. My vocation is to be a wife and to be a mother. I was not living in that gift that God had given me because I was allowing Satan to pull me, my intention to be in these other things that were good things. You know, the the future was, it was a good thing. These things I, I had my eyes on but it was taking me away from my vocation. Yeah, I think that we all have to be careful of that. You know, as busy moms, as Christian moms, as godly women, you know, I think sometimes we can get so focused on ministry or things that, you know, that we're like, no, God wants me to do this. God wants me to do this. And then we'll look back over the month and we're like, was hardly with my family all month because I was so focused on this. I was so focused on doing this and this and this. And so that's been, I think, the biggest learning experience over the past 12 years of my life, being out of the industry, just waking up and saying, okay, Lord, what gift am I going to be able to open from you today in in the present with you today? And and how are you going to fill my heart with contentment today? Yeah, such a great concept. I love that. Well, now, Abby, you have a new book out called Fierce Mercy. So can you tell us what it's about? And also, where can our listeners find you and get more info and also help support your ministry? Yeah. So I do have a new book out called Fierce Mercy. And, you know, my first two books were really heavy, like abortion focused, you know, heavy on my story and stories inside the clinic and really abortion focused. And I, and that was great. That's sort of what they needed to be at the time. But I really wanted to write a book that was a little more personal that talked about my motherhood and my marriage. And I'm a mom of eight kids and one is adopted. So I wanted to talk a little bit about our adoption journey and just my faith journey and be a little more vulnerable. I mean, vulnerable in a, a a more personal way than like abortion way. You know, we just live in times that are just, I think right now people are very away from each other. I think we just live in very divisive times. And I think people are mm-hmm. sort of scared to be vulnerable with each other right now. And just sort of wanted to put some things out there and People, they message me sometimes and they'll say, I'm pro-life. My sister, you know, loves abortion. She thinks abortion's great. And, you know, we just, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. how we can get along. How am I supposed to get along with this person in my life, you know, that believes this and I believe that. And how do I love this person that is so far away from, you know, my beliefs on this and whatever. I want to write a book on how we love people that, that we think are unlovable. I mean, because, and like how that's been shown in my life, you know, because I had really, really good people loving me while I worked at Planned Parenthood. And even though they were dramatically opposed to what I was doing and then, you know, in my ministry and then there were none, I mean, that's exactly what we do. I mean, we, 
you know, love people out of the abortion industry. I guess I just want to show people how that's done and how that's done really well, because I think that's something that a lot of people could use a lesson in right now because our culture is so polarized. So where could they find you and get some info? Yeah. So my website is just, um, it's abbyjabbyj.com. And all my socials are there. I have a podcast called Politely Rude. Um, I love that. <laughs> people can listen to that and uh, you can get all my books and my movie Unplanned streams on Amazon so they can watch it there. And you can hear all my kids in the background that are, of course, right outside of my office being super loud <laughs> because I'm recording this. They Well, you're a mom of eight kids. <laughs> are never, they're never outside of my office until I'm recording a podcast. Then they're, they all gang up out there. Exactly. But it's that noise that reminds you what a yeah. gift you have. You have eight. That's gifts. right. That's right. It's an ever present reminder. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your candidness, Abby. We know that yours isn't an easy story to share, but every time you do, I have no doubt that you give a woman the courage to choose life. So thank you so much. Thank you, ladies, for having me on. And thank you for listening, Mama. We realize that you probably didn't wake up this morning hoping to have a chat about abortion, but the Laura and Ruths of this world need us to talk about it. The Bible has much to say about the preborn, so we should too. I want to leave you with the words of the prophet of God. Isaiah 49.1 says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Each baby, whether in or out of the womb, has been given a name by their creator. May we do all we can to bring honor and value to those named ones. <laughs> <laughs>